This is the start of a new series called Greater. It comes from the book of John. But first John gives us the one who is in you is greater. When Jesus is in you, the one who is in you is greater than he was in the world. Anything the world could offer to you, Jesus can overcome that. But John chapter 14, Jesus is about to leave. And he gives us these very words from John chapter 14, verse 12. Read it out loud with me. Would you together? Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I am going to the Father. John 14, 12. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. Now take your Bible and go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Because we want our lives to really matter. We want our lives to really make some, a difference in the world. But here, here's the, the thing with Christians. It says, we come to Christ. He forgives us of our sins. He welcomes us into his family. And we think, oh, all is well. I'm coasting on my way to heaven. But Jesus has a different idea. If he wanted you to just go to heaven the moment you trusted Jesus, and I hope that you do, you trust the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus to save you from your sin, and that's what Jesus provides for you. But if you trust the Lord, if that's the end result of your life, then why doesn't he just like kill you right away, send you to heaven, right? You ever thought about that? It's, and you're, you're, you're beginning to think about it like now, like, uh-oh, that could happen, yeah. But he leaves you on earth with a mission, with a purpose, with a reason. And, and there's something to your life that's greater than you just coming to know Christ. It's wonderful. The best news you'll ever hear. But then the Lord wants you to be an impact on other people as well. And today we're going to talk about, as we start the series, he wants you to have greater influence. Greater influence. Now from Matthew chapter 5, we read these words. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Stop right there. You are the light of the world. Okay? Think of it that way. You don't put a bowl over the light, right? Okay? You have that picture down? Instead, they put it on a stand. That light goes on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. Have you ever thought about that? When you put a lamp or a light, a candle, in the middle of the room, it tends to light the whole room. Okay? In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, the light doesn't go under a bulb. We sang this as a kid, right? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. You know that song? We had no idea what it meant, did it? Because we sing, hide it under a bushel. No. Why? Because there's no smoke alarm under the bushel. And it's a fire hazard, and it's illegal, and you're not to play with matches, and, right? So you're thinking, well, don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. What's he saying? You are, because you've come to Christ, you are now the light. Where you are, you are the point of light in the world where you live. Don't hide that point of light. Instead, let it shine. And the way you let that light shine is through your good deeds, your good efforts, your good works. And that isn't the end in and of itself. Those good deeds become a message that sends out to people that say, your God is pretty incredible. Get this? So when you do something good, you don't do it as the end result. You do it just to bring glory to God. People say, I want the God that you have. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. Now, you are left here on earth to be a light. That light will be seen in good works. 
So when your life is all about you, that's bad. That's not a good way to live your life. When your church is all about you, when your devotional life is all about you, when your small group's all about you, your service is all about you, that's a dead end. Your light is to shine in good deeds to glorify God the Father, which is way bigger, and it ends up making your life way greater because you have the power of influence in other people's lives. Second Corinthians says it this way, that you were, you were left here on earth, the gospel is not the end with you. Our hope is that as your faith increases, so the gospel will go out to others. You'll be an, an influence in the gospel to other people. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, and I'm going to light other lights. I'm going to lead other people to Jesus. That's the influence you can have. And no one would argue, John 14, that when Jesus says you're going to do greater works, no one would argue and say, oh yeah, we could live a better life than Jesus. No, it can't be done. Or you could save more people than Jesus, or that your life died upon a cross, or any other uh, capital punishment method would be greater. No, we're not talking about that, because when Jesus died for our sins, it was once for all. He provides salvation. He's not talking about that. He is talking in a greater context that he said, I'm going to go back to the Father now. And John chapter 14, verse 1, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Remember this? When I go, I'll come back, take you with me. That way you'll know and I, the place to where I go. And I'm going to take you with me. I'll, I'll prepare a home for you in heaven. And you know that verse, and you go, oh yeah, it's the heaven verse. That's John chapter 14. And he says, and when I leave, I'm going to leave you with a comforter. His name's the Holy Spirit. He'll guide you and teach you into all truth. And you're going to do greater works. Now, Thomas, who I think gets a bum rap, because he asks the questions that everybody's thinking, but they just don't want to verbalize. He asks the questions, Jesus, we've never been to heaven. If we can't get there, how can we know the way? Have you ever had someone give you instructions to their house? And they go, oh yeah, turn here. You'll see it's a corn, you know, it's a cornfield. Turn left after the second hill. <laughs> and then when they say, oh yeah, you can't miss it. Oh my gosh, that's like a 100% chance you're going to miss it. Right? Right? I said sweet corn, not field corn. Like I, I'm driving down the road at 40 miles an hour like I could tell the difference. Yeah. I hardly know the difference between soybean and corn anyway. So I, I, I can't find it. Thomas asked the question, I, I, we've never been there, Jesus. How can we know the way? You know what Jesus says? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. He says, I'm the way. I'll get you there. You just hang on to me. I am the truth. I'll never lead you astray. I am the life. I will give you the life of eternity if you'll just trust me. Put your life in my hands. And if you're trusting Jesus Christ, then you're headed to heaven. If you're not, you need to get on board that ship because it's going to leave soon. You don't know when your life will end. So you want to be ready for heaven. But then once you're ready for heaven, you're more ready now to, to be an influence in the light here on earth. And so what... What Jesus is saying is, when, the, when I leave, then the Holy Spirit's going to come inside you. He will be a comforter to you. He will guide you into all truth. And when he does that, now Christ will be in you, the hope of glory, and he'll do greater things in you. You're thinking, greater than what Jesus did? More impacting? In a different way, yes. Not in the salvation sense, but in a worldwide sense of what is happening. Because, fr quite frankly, Jesus didn't travel very far. He was born in a little village, went to a bigger city, didn't travel many miles. Uh, but what he provided was everlasting life. That was his job, to seek and save the lost. He did that. Then he goes back to the Father to represent us now. 
And just as he's about to go, he says, you're going to do greater things. And I, and I know what you're thinking. I, like I'm thinking when I read the passage, greater, and there's no way I could be greater. Greater than making a lame man walk? I mean, what's better than making a guy who can't walk make him walk? Okay, can he make him fly? That's greater. Can, if he feeds 5,000 people, that's phenomenal. Could I feed 6,000 people? I mean, you're just thinking, blind guy could see? Could he see even further, even better than 2020? And teach with authority and knowledge of the scriptures and wisdom on high? Is that going to happen? You're thinking, there's no way. No, he's saying, I'm going to go back to the Father. You're going to do greater things because the Holy Spirit will be in you. The Holy Spirit had never been in them before. And when I leave you, your impact in the world will increase. And sure enough, that's what will happen. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 says this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's already died, been buried, he's risen, he's about to go back to heaven. And he says, you're going to receive power, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will live inside you, and you will become witnesses. You will tell your story. That's why you're left here on earth. That's why God doesn't just zap you into heaven the day you trust Christ. Because you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, your hometown, in Samaria, surrounding area, in Judea and Samaria, and then the othermost parts of the earth. Your impact will be worldwide. This isn't going to just stay in the little village. And, and sure enough, within weeks after Jesus dies and is buried and rises again, within weeks, Peter gets up and preaches a message. Within weeks. This is Peter. You have to remember this is a fisherman. I like fish. Any of you like to eat fish? I don't like to get into a car where fish have been. Amen? Yeah. I don't like to sit next to a guy who smells like he's been out fishing all day. I like fish. Uh, I don't like the process. This guy looked and smelled like a fisherman. Sorry. Kipper snacks. That's all I can think about. It's kind of nasty when you think about it. He also had what we call hoof and mouth disease. Peter had this strange ability to take an awkward situation and make it by far worse. And for you grammarians, English teachers, he went from worse to worser. <laughs> he could take his foot, hoof and mouth, put it in his mouth, and then shove it all the way in up to his knee while talking. He was just impulsive in the way he talked. He was not a public speaker. He wasn't even good with ideas. And he was a fisherman, okay? And within weeks after Jesus rises from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes into Peter's life. Peter stands up and says, you Jews and fellow countrymen, let me tell you, the guy you hung on the cross, he's savior of the world. He is the Messiah the Old Testament's been talking about. And by the end of that sermon, 3,000 people come to know Christ and get baptized that day. Can you imagine? That's greater. That is greater. This impact, and it crossed all kinds of barriers that day. The message of Jesus that day began to go worldwide because it went across cultural and language lines. It reached more and more people. And it crossed economic lines. It didn't matter what your income was or your status was, your education, doesn't matter. It didn't matter your cultural background, your language, your racial profile. It did not matter because it, the gospel began to cross all of those barriers. And, and they even had a place of meeting where believers who came together to meet, it was called the ecclesia, it's the Greek word, ek out, klesia, to gather. They called out ones to gather. It's called, in our word, our English word would be the word church or assembly. And, and, 
And they call, oftentimes call these people the people of the way or little Christ because they followed Christ. They even had gathering places that we would call churches. They agreed to meet at a hillside or an assembly. It, that's the story of the book of Acts right there. When the message of Jesus goes out, it'll even go into restricted areas. Now, I had to be real honest with you today. I'm not 100%. My voice, you can tell, is not the best. So the message is a little jumbled, but here you go. <clears throat> this week was a downer week for me. It was physically low. But Wednesday night, I stayed up late. Um, I had a daughter who's out. I don't go to bed till our, all the kids are in. I don't care how old they are. I'm going to wait up until uh, they're all in. And I, so I was studying. I had just finished writing the message, the, the first draft, really, the kind of the main outline of this. And, uh, and across my computer that evening, I uh, came across the line that uh, one of my heroes, one of my all-time favorite heroes, had passed away. His name is Andre Crouch. I don't know if you knew that or not, if you even know who he is. Andre Crouch wrote, Jesus is the answer, and my tribute to God be the glory, and blood will never lose its power. He wrote some wonderful, great Christian hymns of the faith. He's a preacher's kid who, who, by the way, his dad just prayed over him. He had a stuttering problem growing up. You would never know that about Andre. His dad just prayed over him, gave him the gift of music. He said, uh, Andre, I need a piano player at church, little church. Can you imagine this earnest and trip? I just said to you, I know you've never played piano before. I'm just going to pray for you. No church will start in 10 minutes. See how that goes. <laughs> and you know what Andre said? His dad said, I'm going to pray for you. You want to play piano? He goes, yeah, daddy. Little kid. He sat down and started playing. And uh, he would just find what key people in his little church outside of L.A. And uh, he would grow up and become a phenomenal musician, great piano player, great at, at uh, writing wonderful hymns of the faith that we would sing for years and years. I was 12 when I went to my first Andre Couch concert. Okay? And I went, and I can take you to where the concert was. I can take you to the church. I can almost show you if the building's still there. I can show you the row where I sat. Because I went to go to a concert with my mom and dad. And by the way, uh, Andre's a black guy. And this is the 1960s. So we're not that far from Selma, if you get my drift. I went in and I sat down and we didn't go to a concert that night. We went to a worship time. And he, said, he sang Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, because he has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul. And I, I'd grown up singing about Jesus and about God about the Bible, you know, stuff. But that night, I began to sing to the Lord. And the Lord began to just minister to me in a way it had never been done before, not to put down all my church background and all the music at the church I'd grown up in, none of that. But Andre had the gift, and he lived out this Acts model. He put together a group called the Disciples, Andre Crouch and the Disciples. I bought all their albums and back in that day, you had to buy albums. We're talking real music here. And I used a stereophonic, you know, it sat in the dining room. It was this big. 
our stereo. It was a piece of furniture. And I'd, I'd play every, every song every day. And uh, I, I loved, I, and I, I bought all the albums. And then I didn't just put the album away. I put it in the paper sleeve and then put it in the cardboard piece. Amen? Is that the way it's supposed to be? And if someone touched my stuff, I knew it. <laughs> and uh, there would be some discussion about that. I love my Andre Crouch albums, and he just kept writing. He put together a group called The Disciples, and uh, they sang, became very popular. But one of the guys left the group. His name's Sherman Andrus. That's not uncommon, because um, he, he was a really good singer, and another group wanted him. And Andre said, that's fine, go. I mean, you go minister through them. And he joined another group called The Imperials. Now, you have to know about Sherman Andrus. The guy was a phenomenal vocalist. But if you're a phenomenal vocalist behind Andre Crouch, you're still the number two guy. You're still backup. I mean, I, I remember when Scottie Pippen was the second best player in the NBA, but he still played with Michael Jordan. So people still wore Jordan jerseys, even though Scottie Pippen was phenomenal. Dennis Rodman gives me the creeps. <laughs> you know? Amen? I wouldn't go for a rebound either if he's going up, because if, you know, just all the stuff, and then he would wear like boas and stuff. You know, he wear fur, like, oh, I'm not touching you. you. Go ahead and get the ball. It's okay. I'm going to go boil my hands now. That's why he got so many rebounds. Dennis was a phenomenal guy. I don't know how, I don't know how they coached him, but it worked. It was a great combination. I don't know what they did. But the point is this, phenomenal players on that team, but because Jordan was there, he was still the lead. So, so Andre says, to Sherman Andrus, go. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. And Sherman Andrus joined a group called the Imperials. The Imperials soared and became the number one gospel team in the 70s. They were the hot, hot ticket item. And here's the deal. They were made up of white guys and a, a Native American guy by the name of Russ Taft and Sherman Andrus, a black guy. It was a multiracial team. They were modeling acts before anybody else was. Before anybody else was. And Sherman Andrus would go on and be the lead singer in, in the Imperials. And then he would, eventually they'd break off, and a guy from another quartet, his name's Terry Blackwood, the Blackwood Brothers, the Stamps Baxter Quartets, all, that, all these southern quartets, Terry Blackwood loved Sherman Andrus. They teamed up together in, in another group called uh, Andrus Blackwood and Company. You can see me afterwards, I'll show you those albums too. My point being is this, Andre knew he had something good. He didn't have to contain it. He let that influence go, and it became an influence, and, and, he, and Sherman Andrus crossed barriers no one else had ever crossed before. Nobody. And while he was doing that, it gave Andre more room to cross more barriers that no one else had ever crossed because he began to write choral music that then churches could be able to use. And they were blessed, only to find out this kid from L.A. who never really took piano lessons. She just played the piano. And, and the story doesn't end there, because in 1975, he wrote, I, I actually wrote it before, but he performed it for Billy Graham, and Billy Graham said, I've got to have that in the crusade. And the song was, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There were times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation because in my 
trying times, he only makes me strong. Through it all, that's the name of the song, through it all I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Who couldn't identify with those words, huh? Man, I, I couldn't have written that song. That song was perfect. Through it all, I learned to trust in Jesus. I learned to trust in God. Billy Graham said, I, I need him on the stage. I want him. Well, he comes, but no one really knows who he is. I, and, and he sits down and he plays this song and the crowd rises to their feet. And, and it's not just applause over the song, but they, they could identify. This is a guy who identified with their heart before the Lord. It was a wonderful worship moment. Well, so you can imagine, um, my daughter comes home later that evening. I'm on, I've got four YouTubes up, and I've got, I've got something to sing about. I've got, it, you know, the blood will never lose its power. I've got them all playing all at the same time. I'm playing music upon music of Andre Crouch, and she looks at me and she goes, are you okay? And I, I gave her a sermon she didn't ask for. You know, okay, I'll come in on earlier now. You know, uh, and I began to tell her about all the things that Andre did. And, and you know, and, and just in a moment I said, and, oh yeah, and he won Dove Awards, Christian Music Awards. He won Grammys. He played at Carnegie Hall. I mean, there are things you just, you don't even think about. And, and then you realize the impact the guys had. He had influence because he used his skill for the glory of God. And, and the church is blessed by it. And, and then I think about, um, I, I think about Israel Houghton today, um, a great artist, wonderful guy. He, we played some of his stuff here. Not really enough, I might add, okay? I could take more Israel every day of the week. Um, uh, Michael W. Smith was uh, profoundly affected by the music of Andre Crouch. B.B. Uh, and C.C. Winans. In fact, one of the last albums that Andre um, produced or performed in was an album by uh, Marvin, with Marvin Winans on it. It's called Let the Church Say Amen. Great song, by the way. You gotta go out and get the album. Um, but there were choral groups uh, that, like Hezekiah Walker and, and Brooklyn Tabernacle, that all got a boost from what Andre had done for years. And that just boosted Christian music in general. Even the newsboys, I mean, they just all, all of this culminates, to, and you don't understand that we stand on the shoulders of what that guy did for such a great influence for the glory of God. And then I had to smile because. <clears throat> Friday night then, late night, um, one of my favorite TV evangelists, uh, Jimmy Fallon, was on. Uh, <clears throat> and he had an artist there by the name of Lecrae. And Lecrae is a hip-hop artist, is committed, committed Christian, and maybe one of the best apologetics voices in our society today. I mean, the guy... He unpacks a Christian worldview. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the Truth Project. And all that. Lecrae lives that Truth Project thing in his music. And he can explain it, but then he can hip-hop it too. And at 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, Lecrae is on worldwide television. And I, my mind went back because 35 years earlier, Andre broke that ceiling when he went on Jimmy or Johnny Carson's late night show. And, and, and if it weren't for the work of Andre, we may not have the blessing of the Lecrae's of the world today.
You do not know the impact you're going to make. You just, you just don't know. I just know this. Andre affected a little 12-year-old kid one night in Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> Does Jesus even come to Fort Wayne, Indiana? <laughs> it's not that impressive. And uh, the Lord showed up that night and changed this guy. And that affected me forever. And you don't know what, what your point of influence is going to be. Here's one of the problems with an illustration like that. The illustration is so huge that you're going to miss the sermon. And I don't want you to miss the message. The message is this. God wants to do greater things in you and things that you may not even realize are happening. And he wants you to lead other people. He wants you to be a point of light to other people. And you're going to do it through your... We're going to talk about that. Through points of influence. Let me give to you the three spheres of influence. Here they are. Number one is our contacts. Your coworkers, your neighbors, people in apartment complexes around you, just people who live with you, people in your house, your neighbors, your classmates. They're all there on purpose. This is not lost on God. Those are divine appointments. Jesus put it this way. Mark chapter 5. Go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Don't go to them and say to them, you're a sinner. Don't say, you're going to hell. Or two syllables, you're going to hell. Don't do that. <laughs> because most people going to hell think Christians are glad that those people are going to hell. Because we aren't broken over that. You just go and you tell them what the Lord has done for you. You say, well, I don't know if you want this or not. This is what, this is what the Lord has done for me. I am so blessed. So tell your story. And you don't have to tell them what's wrong with their life. You just tell them how much Jesus has made your life so much better. If you add up the people you have a sphere of influence and you get to spend an hour with or more every week, if you add up just minutes here and minutes there, you'll find you have about a dozen people. That's what sociologists tell us. So you already have this sphere of influence. That's why when we're told, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your household, it's the Greek word oikos, it's your sphere of influence. It's not just your household, it's the people attached to you in relationship to you. Those are people within your purview, within your circle, friends, a family of friends. So that's your field, those are your context. And then your next one is the context. He made one man out of all nations that they would inhabit the whole earth. He marked out and appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You understand what, what they're saying in the book of Acts is God the Father makes the nations and that they would inhabit the whole earth. He's going to put people at different places at different times for a reason. By the way, it, it, you may not like this. There are days I remember thinking this. I was just totally creeped out. You know how you're like, you're like in eighth grade and you realize, I believe in creation. Oh my gosh, the jerk down you know, three rows away from me. I might be related to him. Because eventually we all come off of Noah's Ark or Adam and Eve. You know, either way you go here. Uh, and so you, you realize God has distributed people in different places in the world. And so you are not just there uh, on happenstance. God has placed you at this place at this time to intersect with other people. You're on an assignment. Some of you say, no, I got transferred here because the customer brought me here. What does that mean? I don't know. I just have started using that term when I don't want to answer. Yeah, I, mean, I got it from you. you know, who do you work for? The customer. That's what I do now, the customer. 
I have no idea who that is. I've been driving around D.C. trying to figure out who the customer is. But you understand this. The customer answers to the God in heaven who actually got you to this point, who gave you the neighbors that you have, the people you ride on the bus or the train with, people who are involved in your school district. He put you in that place for that specific reason. That's not a mistake. Those are divine appointments. Therefore, take advantage of it. Make the most of every opportunity within your context. So you ask God, God, give, you, give me this strength. Psalm 90, may the favor of our Lord rest upon us. Lord, I just need strength for, for my hands. Because I can't change the world. You can't change the world. All you can change is your world. Get this? All you can change is your world. But if all of us change our own world, we will change the world. The world. So it's our contacts, our context, and thirdly, our compassion. Because God will give you a passion for a particular people group. And it might be people who have PTSD or people who have uh, personal injuries or handicapped or some way uh, unique. They might be teenagers, might be children. You might just have a real love for underprivileged people or underserved or business people or upper crust people. You, God may stir your heart so you delight in the Lord with all your heart. And, and when you do that, you give, he gives you the desires. He puts a burning desire within you to minister, maybe even to a particular kind of people group. And when, when you hear about an opportunity and it foams up inside you, that's God giving you the desires of your heart. And so you want to be there. You want to do whatever it is that God is doing in that realm. And that's the way the early church operated. You'll see the early church continued together to meet in the temple courts and house to house, and they broke their bread together, and they came together, and they, they had glad and sincere homes. What, what happened was this. You had a happy believers because they were fitting where they belong. They were doing, living out the gospel in their own lives. They were working out their salvation the way God had worked into them. And, and in doing that, they not only had a better stickability, but there's more joy to it as well. Um, Lisa Tukertz is um, a woman who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. Lisa's a, a godly woman, follower of Christ, uh, married, and a great Christian guy, a businessman. Um, Lisa had prompting on her heart to write and blog for women. And so she began to do that, began to write some books. They caught on, and they became some best-selling books. She started a ministry called Proverbs 31 Woman. It's a good ministry. If you ever want to get online, you can check it out. And, and so while she had this sphere of influence in Charlotte, that was good. Well, what the Lord did was he gave her something greater, and that greater was... A regional thing and then be, ultimately became national she started joining the circuit for women of faith she got a minute on the radio and she got some voice time and then blog which could go around the world and the very thing that God had prompted in her heart was greater Proverbs 31 woman was greater and and you think that's the end of the story but it's not because Lisa one day went into a church for just a typical Friday night concert and there was a group of kids there called the Liberian Children's Choir. And uh, Liberia, you know, is on the west coast of Africa. It's a war-torn zone. Right now, it even has some Ebola in it. But at the time, just war-torn, just terrible things happening. A lot of civil unrest. And she listened to this choir, but she felt the prompting of God in her life to adopt one of these little kids. She had three daughters, and she said, I'd like to have a son. 
She talked about it to her husband. They prayed about it. But she went and talked to someone in the choir group and said, we believe God has us adopt one of the kids. Tell us how to do this. And they said, well, fill out these forms. You can start this process, but it's going to be a long journey. And sure enough, it was. It's typical foreign adoption, a lot of paperwork and justification. A lot of things had to happen. And over months of time, it finally did. But Lisa, the day uh, came to adopt, they didn't adopt um, a little boy. They adopted two little boys. And um, you'd think, oh, that's, that's great. But what's that going to do to the Proverbs 31 ministry and the writing and radio and books and all that? Well, it got better because here's what happened. They realized the boys were way behind in school, not to their own fault, just the way it was. And to put them in a public school wasn't going to work. Parochial wasn't going to work. It was too rigid of a schedule, and they were not caught up to grade. And on top of that, the state, like many states, they have an age-out system. They can't be having 40-year-old people going to high school. So 21's a cutoff, and these boys weren't going to make it. They're just not going to make it. Too much to catch up. And Lisa decided, well... They don't trust anybody. They've lost their parents. They've been in a war-torn country. They trust me a little bit, the most of anybody. And they, they said, the only way these kids are going to catch up is if someone just sits down and tutors them. And so she decided, I'm going to sit down and tutor them. So she laid aside what we think is so great, this Proverbs 31 ministry, downsized that a bit so she could sit every morning at the kitchen table and read to her boys and do their math and do their English and do their science social studies, do all the subjects at the kitchen table, and instead of it being this huge deal, her greater calling was to drill down deeply and impact two little lives who'd never really had an education, didn't have health care, didn't have, you know, just none of the problems that we just take for granted here. And now she can impact them for Jesus, for the glory of God, and that becomes her greater. You see, I tell you that story because some of you are thinking, I'll never become Andre Crouch. I'll never have the influence of an Andre Crouch. You're right. Probably most of us won't. But maybe your impact will be what appears to be something less to somebody else. But for you, it's what God prompts you to do to explain the gospel to just two little boys that really do matter, that Jesus does love as well. And you're going to give your life to those two little ones. And maybe that's what God calls you to do. And it appears to be less, but really, in Lisa's mind, it was more. And that's not the end of the story. It keeps going. Because the word got out that Lisa was not on the road. And they never imagined what would eventually happen. The city where she lives, they would start a chain reaction of adoption. And their community alone adopted over 45 kids from that one orphanage in Liberia. Can you imagine And then when they found out that Lisa had come off of the road to be able to school the boys so they could get through high school on time, well, that turned the ear of Oprah. She said, I'd like to have her on my show. You know who Oprah is, right? (laughs) Just checking. And Good Morning America and the 700 Club and USA Today newspaper and World's uh, Women's Day magazine. And, of course, Focus on the Family has had a long-standing relationship with Lisa. The point being this. God will direct you in a point of compassion, and you have no idea 
where that's going to take you. You just have to walk in, in faith and trust him. And if you'll do that, he will do something greater, if nowhere else, in your own heart and life. I hope you get that. That's the greater, even if it isn't great to other people. It's a sacred moment for you. Now, the method of influence is threefold as well. My manner is first, be wise in the way you act. Watch yourself, watch your body language, watch everything about yourself because it has to be seasoned with salt so you know how to answer. People are watching you and you don't even know it. And so you have to make it your ambition to lead a quiet and and peaceable kind of life. Another translation reads it. So you win the respect of others. You have to live a life that is so great, so above reproach, so consistent and so faithful that it's convincing. Um, I I, I encourage you, if you want to grow in your faith, what you need to do is this week, is this week, give a 30-second or one-minute testimony to the guy or the gal in the cubicle next to you. Because once they know you're a Christ follower, now you... Now that it's out, now I've got to consistently grow in my faith. I have to watch my attitude, watch the roll of my eyes, my body language, and my, my mouth. I have to watch my heart, and I have to really value people. I have to really live out the fruit of the Spirit once I give my testimony. If you really want to really grow in your faith, just start a small group. Um, we have small groups that meet in homes every night of the week, pretty much, and but you start a small group, I guarantee you, you'll grow more than anybody else in the group if you start it. Teachers tell me this all the time that work with Grozone. They are the ones who learn the most because they are studying the material. But if you lead a small group, I can guarantee you, you'll fight with your spouse 60 minutes right before small group time. And then you're going to go, oh my gosh, we, we need to get the happy face on here pretty soon here, hon. So we have to speed this fight along. And... Kind of wrap it up, kiss and make up, and then, you know. And I always tell small group leaders too: do not clean your house for small group. Let them see you for your real. And then, what do I do? Well, this house got to be clean. Small group's coming over. Didn't you say don't clean? I didn't mean that. I meant them, not us. We we have to clean. I create stress. You know. What an idiot. You say, well, okay. I I'm not going to start a small group till I stop arguing with my wife. You will not start a small group until you're in heaven. (laughs) I am not a prophet, and I can tell you that much. You see, God uses you in in, in those confined spots where you you put the bumper sticker on and says, I love Jesus. Now you've got to drive like it. That's way harder. Way harder. See, and so you have to watch your manner because... It, you, you want to live the kind of life that people were, are, are going to want to follow. And, and um, our kids will do this to us because we have bad habits. And then we, you know, we start having kids, and then we have to get rid of the bad habits because our kids start to pick them up. So first thing you have to do is watch your manner. Second is your moments. Because God doesn't give you a whole lifetime. What he does is he gives you this whole lifetime, but there are significant moments where to speak for him give a voice, give a word of testimony. Make, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. He's going to mark this path. So you're going to get up in the morning. You're going to say, okay, God, I know you've got some stuff out there for me. So here we go. I'm walking with you. Holy Spirit, go with me. Prepare my heart. Get my voice ready so I speak well the gospel of Jesus Christ. In their hearts, the humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes the steps, uh, the Proverbs say. And it will happen just in a moment. 
in a moment. I've, I've gone to pray. I'm in a public setting. And in a moment, I'll go to pray. I'll say, I'm going to pray. Thank the Lord for my lunch. Is there anything I can pray for you? And I'm always amazed. People say, oh, yeah, pray for me for I'm interviewing. Or I'm doing something else. Okay, got it. And then go on. I, I, over Christmas, I, I stopped. I was on the way home. Um, I stopped at the grocery just to grab a couple of things. And I got in line, and uh, there's a young mom in front of me, and she's got like a bazooka load. You know how it is, Christmas. And, I mean, she's got a bunch, but she, they've already started ringing. She said, I had to let you through, and you know how it is. The lines are kind of, I said, it's not a problem, because she had a one-year-old baby in that seat. So that's why I got in that line, actually. Um, and I went, oh, take your time, lady. I'm just enjoying this. I'm holding my stuff going, hey, baby. I can blow bubbles too, you know, and I can just talk to you all day because I love babies. And so <clears throat> I'm talking to this baby. I said, she is just a doll. She's just an angel. And I'm thinking, this is my moment to speak for Jesus. And I said, how old is she? She says she's a year. Actually, she just had her year, but she's not quite a year. Cause, and then she goes into this big story about... Uh, uh, she's a preemie, and we had to go to Johns Hopkins, and Oscars, and I, oh my gosh, this is the God moment right here, because I'm going to say, every baby is a gift from God. I've got, I've got, I've got, I'm waiting for her to breathe in. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Every gift, every baby, every God is a gift from God. I botched the line now. Every baby is a gift from God. And she says to me, he is a gift from God. And we thank the Lord every day. And she starts back. I go, I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm witnessing to you. You aren't leading me to Jesus. I'm leading you to Jesus. What's wrong with you? And she starts back at me with her. And it's just a miracle in her heart's doing well. And she's been in the NIC unit, intensive care for babies. And she's going, I'm thinking, the whole time I'm thinking, dang, I wanted to lead you to Jesus and this baby, and it's not happening. You know, and, and all four of the Safeway was the worship, was holy ground right there. I think, frankly, as I walked away later, I've never seen that lady before, and I don't think I've seen her since, although it occurred to me, she may actually attend here, and she thinks, oh, it was the pastor. He, I, 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 don't know, I don't know who it is. So I, you know, for all I know, she attends or doesn't. But, but I thought, you know, maybe the checkout lady needed to just hear that and needed to see the sacred moment of two strangers who both love the same Lord, and we verbalize it in aisle four of the Safeway. And, you know, I don't know the checkout lady. I don't know. She may have had a son who's, you know, an adult son just can't get a job, you know. A daughter who's on drugs. I mean, you know, just wondering why in the world did I have children? Why, why you, know, you know how mothers think this way, and I know that mothers do. Sometimes mothers go, why did I not eat my young? You know, it's, <laughs> why didn't I do like what wolves do? You know, regarding this, and don't don't deny it. That laughter right there told me you've actually thought that. So you're not fooling the guys at all. But the lady says, I can't. You know, I can't get him to get a job. Can't get him off the couch. Can't get him. He's just. I can't get him. And you're really frustrated with their kids. And then for them to go back, and in the moment, realize children are a gift from the Lord, a heritage. They're like arrows in the pocket, you know? You're blessed with them. And I, I thought, you know, just this week, 
Uh, another Andre Crouch song. If heaven never was promised to me, neither a land where we'll live eternally, it's still worth just having the Lord in my life. Living in a world of darkness, he brought me the light. He brought me the light. And I, I just think, uh, in those moments of worship, that, that's the moment you need to verbalize your faith. You need to be ready to do that. What we're going to do, is starting next week, we're going to give you some video footage and some lesson material for small groups. You're not in a group, use your connection card. Right now, just sign up. I want to get in a group. We'll get you in a group this week. So next week when we start, we'll show you how you can do a testimony in one, one minute. How you can do it in three minutes. How you can do it in five minutes. Uh, and it's as simple as this. I grew up in a religious home, uh, but God was far from me. I could play the game and I could do this stuff, but it had to be real for me. This is not my parents' religion. It's my personal relationship with Christ. That's my one minute right there. I could, do, I could change that to three minutes, to five minutes, whatever, whatever I want. You, you, we'll help you, show, you do that if you want. Get in a small group. Small groups will get that video footage next week. Because it's so important, number one, the manner, that you live in such a way it's above reproach. Number two, that you look for the moments. Number three, that your message is clear. That your message is clear. And the message is this. This is what the Lord did for me. I am a light on the hill. You get that? Some Christians are a light on the hill and they go around blowing other people's lights out. Don't be that kind of Christian. Okay? You're a light on the hill. You be a blessing to people. And, and when you do that, you revere Christ as Lord in your heart. You set him apart. Sanctify yourself to that. And then you be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the question. Just when that question comes, you can give the answer. Uh, um, it happened to me this week. Someone said, will I ever get over this? And they were wanting me to say, oh yeah, you will. You buck it up, you'll be fine. I said, you know what, I don't know. But I do know this. The grace of God has met me at points where I think I can't go on. And oh my gosh, that was 2 Corinthians 1 all over again. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trouble. It's the God moment right there. Um, you need to know the message well, so you're able to communicate it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. And, and in light of being a new creation, you want to walk a different way, talk a different way. You want your life to really shine. So go back to Matthew 5 again. I want my life, I want your life, and as we disperse, the lights just go into the community. And we light other people's lights. And we don't hide them under a bushel. And we do this through love and good deeds. And as people come to Christ, they light the light. And it glorifies God, our Father, in heaven. Would you bow with me in prayer? And I'm going to ask that without any movement, just between you and God, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but, uh, and certainly don't get up right now. Just stay where you are for the next few minutes. Ask yourself, dear God in heaven, uh, if I'm to be the light, how, how can I do this? What is prompting me in light of the message today? I have to work on first and foremost. Because Lord, we know all too well We've missed opportunities to be a great influence. They've gotten past us. They've just gotten past us. And I, 
I think, what if that had happened to a 12-year-old kid sitting at a concert if the songwriter had let it get past him and the influence he had in my life? So Lord, make us very aware of the influence every day we have in people's lives, knowing full well that the impact could, could scatter light around the globe. And we pray this to the glory of Christ, our Savior. The church agrees and says, amen. Amen. amen.